the ultimate protection for our wombats is actually in their butt. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Raw Safari. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the podcast that is more impressive than a wombat's butt, the Rossafari Podcast. Now, we're going to start off today's episode with a pretty exciting announcement. Uh, the Rossafari Podcast launched on July 23rd of 2020, meaning that if you're listening to this on the day that it comes out, we are roughly one month away from the one-year anniversary of the pod. And I'm going to be celebrating that by starting season two. Now, normally, podcasts have hosts that aren't work-obsessed and crazy. And because of that, uh, when they take a season break, they actually take, you know, a break. I am not going to do that. However, I will tell you that next month, the last week of the show is going to start with season two launching on July 27th, 2021. And even though it's not going to be after a break, it is going to be a slightly different experience. I think all of the things that you love about the podcast, be it the incredible host or the fun music or the great attitude or, of course, the amazing guests will still be there. But uh going to have a slightly different approach to a couple things. I'll be telling you more about it as we get closer. But I just wanted to take the time now to let you know that season one of Rasafari is wrapping up. And season two will be coming to you at the end of July. So what can you do to get ready for season two? Well, make sure you're following along at Rossafari on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari Pod on TikTok. And make sure that, of course, you're subscribed. And uh, if, if you're on the Apple Podcast app or on iTunes, you can click the little five stars to give the show a five star rating. And if you're willing to take the time to write a review, it helps people find the pod and makes my life a little bit happier when I read them. Oh, who am I kidding? It makes me a lot happier. I get giddy every time I read a good review. But enough talk about all of that. Let's instead move on to today's episode. So um, today is, well, it's nothing short of a love story. You see, in Australia... There is a amazing woman. Her name is Renee Howell, and she is a zookeeper. And uh, we've we've gotten to know each other on Instagram. And she is funny and kind, and um, truly just an amazing woman. And you know, even though I've never been there in person, I have truly, truly grown to fall madly in love with Renee Howell's tree kangaroo named Kofi. Yeah, that's right, y'all. This is a love relationship between me and a Goodfellows tree kangaroo that has never met me. And I would totally apologize for how cheesy that joke was, but um, hey, it's the Rossafari podcast. If you're not here for the cheese, then why are you here? But all joking aside, when I say I love Kofi, 
I mean, I love Kofi. There are very few animals that I have not gotten to meet or at least see in person that I, I ever feel as connected to as I do with the ones that I've gotten to interact with. Um, but Kofi is at the top of that list. And honestly, Renee is a big reason uh, of why that is. Um, what an amazing friend she has become. What a cool human she is. Uh, I have reached out to her on numerous occasions and um, asked her to give Kofi special treats for me. And she does. And she tells them they're from me. And she'll send me videos and pictures and, and tell me about it. And it's just, that's that's the coolest thing. Um, heck, one day I was anticipating having a very bad day and I mentioned that to her. And throughout the day, I think she sent me oof, four videos and 10 or 11 pictures of Kofi that she took throughout the day just to uh, brighten my day. That's the kind of person that Renee is. And um, I am so grateful for the uh, digital only, for now, friendship that we have. Although we do swear that someday we're going to get to hang out and uh, I'm going to get to show her some red pandas or Matt G's tree kangaroos in the States, or she will finally get to introduce me to Kofi and some of her other charges in Australia. I know I've said it on here before, but one of the things that amazes me the most about doing this podcast is just how many amazing, awesome animal people there are and how freaking lucky I am that I get to have relationships with so many of them. And now I get to share Renee with you. And that is just so cool. Uh, I cannot wait for y'all to hear what she has to say and to learn from her because Lord knows I did a lot. This is a very cool interview. I will say, however, that we had every possible technical issue that you could have. First of all, Renee is in Australia, and I'm in the United States, and that's pretty darn far away. Um, and then on top of that, uh, let's just say that Renee and technology don't get along real well. Um, in the end, we ended up with two different audio sources, both of which were mediocre, and in this episode, uh, I switched between the two a lot. Whichever one sounded better in the moment is what I went for. It's going to sound a little weird when you listen to it, but that was the way that I could ensure that you don't miss a word that Renee said, because they're all really good and really important. Because of all these issues, I ended up working really hard on this episode. It took a lot longer than it normally does to edit these, but it's worth it because there's a lot of really good content in here. You're going to learn about my buddy Kofi. You're going to learn about an amazing cassowary. You are going to learn things about wombats that blew my mind. We're talking quokka. We're talking about a cute puppy. I, I just think, I don't know. I think you're going to love this one. So uh, I have rambled on a lot. And so it is time. Without further ado, here is my interview with Renee Howell, keeper of Kofi at Wildlife Sydney Zoo. <laughs> All right, so why don't we start with you telling me who you are, where you work, and what you do there. So I'm Renee Howe. I am a headkeeper at Wildlife Sydney Zoo, which is in the heart of Darling Harbour in Sydney. And and so uh, uh, between between saying Sydney and the accent, I'm going with Australia? <laughs> yes, Australia, that's for sure. Very cool. Um so let's uh, let's start off by talking about you a little bit, um, and I'm especially curious, what is the journey like to being a keeper in uh, in Australia? So I started out as a volunteer. 
Um, I didn't have any plan of being a zookeeper as a career. I actually, straight out of school, went into studying forensic science at university. Um, it didn't last very long. I only stuck with it for about a month or so. And <laughs> I knew that university wasn't for me. Um, so I actually started at looking at um, just opportunities that would allow me to work alongside any animals. Um, and from that, I found a volunteering opportunity within um, the Australian Reptile Park. Um, so I went through the Australian Reptile Park's volunteer program, went through all the interviewing process for that, and I just started volunteering there purely because I had a passion for animals and I was doing something that made me happy. Um, within that year, I started looking at uh, different roads I could take with that, and I found a studying course that I could do which is a Certificate 3 in Captive Animals. So it is just a TAFE course. So it's a very short course, a one-year course with one day a week um, in a classroom. And that is the minimum requirement for zookeeping in Australia. So I went through that uh, one year into my volunteering. And then from there, I started as a casual keeper at the Australian um, Reptile Park. And I did that for a further year or so. Uh, and then I started looking to other opportunities that I could do somewhere that could potentially take me further. Um, and that's where I found an advertisement for casual keeping at Wildlife Sydney Zoo. So I went through the interviewing process for that and just worked my way up at Wildlife Sydney Zoo. That's awesome. Uh, that's, yeah, that's a very different process than what tends to happen in the U.S. Here you need... Um, Pretty much nowadays, you need a bachelor's degree and a couple of years of unpaid internships before you might get uh, what what you consider a what you call a casual keeper job. So that's that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. So you said that you started at uh, the Australia Reptile Park, but that's not just like a bunch of herps, right? That is a full on zoo, correct? Yeah, pretty much. It's um, a small scale zoo, so. It's got a lot of uh, native and exotic reptiles and then uh, native mammals. So anything from koalas, kangaroos, wallabies and everything like that. So I was primarily on the mammals um, and then we just had a lot of the exotic reptiles as well. Very cool. And then uh, what area of the zoo do you work in now at the zoo? Yeah, so we uh, split into three divisions. They're not uh, based on taxa. Um, it's simply geographically in the zoo. Um, so my section, I range from animals that are like blue-tongued lizards to venomous snakes, um, wombats, Tasmanian devils, um, koalas, and, of course, the uh, tree kangaroo. Yeah, the tree kangaroo, <laughs> Kofi, the reason that I know you and think you're amazing. And I feel like I'm talking to a celebrity right now only because I'm so obsessed with your tree kangaroo. Um, because that's how normal I am. <laughs> hey, it's, it's worth obsessing over. He is pretty great. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm going to start off by making myself look silly, but I, I have to show you something. So a, a fan and friend in Australia, Emily Rupp, sent me this. That is amazing. It is a stuffed <laughs> Goodfellows. And of course, I had to name him Kofi. So this is my own. Oh, Kofi. amazing. <laughs> And yes, named after yours. So let's let's talk to people about Kofi. Um, 
go ahead and just kind of, you know, share a little bit about Goodfellows tree kangaroos. We've talked about tree roos on the pod before, but but talk about maybe Goodfellows mm-hmm. and then your tell me everything about Kofi. Like talk for the next three hours. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so Goodfellows tree kangaroos, they're one of the uh, 14 species of tree kangaroo. Um, they're native to Papua New Guinea. Uh, and they are unfortunately endangered because not only due to habitat uh, destruction, but they are still being hunted uh, for their meat and for their fur. So one of the animals that is not protected, um, but we are lucky to have an ambassador animal in Kofi in our zoo. Um, he's our first tree kangaroo that we've ever housed and first exotic animal at Wildlife Sydney Zoo. So it's pretty awesome to have him on board. Uh, he's just over three years of age and he is an absolute superstar. So uh, I am his primary trainer um, and training is incredibly important in the zoo industry. Uh, it means we can do our daily husbandry or animal health care without stressing out the animal or ourselves as well. So uh, he is a superstar. He's smashing all of our training goals. Um, and as you've seen on my Instagram, um, he's very photogenic as well. <laughs> yeah, yes, he is. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So uh, what kind of training stuff are you doing with Kofi right now? So our first training goal was simply target training. So just getting him to touch a target with his nose uh, so that we can move him around the exhibit as we need. From there, we went into scale training. So we were able to use the target to get him onto the scales, uh, which were which meant we were able to monitor his weight to ensure he was growing, he was healthy, and it meant we didn't need to catch him up for these kind of health checks. Uh, so the next training stage we're doing is station training. So we're able to station him in one particular area of his exhibit, meaning we can either enter safely, we can do guest interactions with him, um, or if we just want him to simply stay in the one spot, he's happy to do so, whilst always being positively reinforced. So. His favorite reinforcers are boiled egg and banana. Really? I, I didn't I didn't know about boiled <laughs> egg. I don't think I've ever seen that in any of your photos or videos that I've noticed. It's always uh veggies and stuff like that. That's cool. Yeah, you I guess you wouldn't find boiled egg out in the wild, but <laughs> we found that he uh responds really really well to it. So we've kept that as his highest reinforcer. Oh, that's awesome. He's so good. Um and you like you really get up close with him. Like most of the pictures are your face shoved up next to his face and stuff. Um was that relationship always there? Is he just super trusting or did you have to really work to build that? I've definitely really worked to build that. Uh I mean, since he arrived at the zoo, um I was there. He was meant to arrive at about 10 p.m. at night he didn't end up arriving till past midnight so from there we we waited around for a long time so um he definitely was worth the wait um his first few days I was solely working with him because he was in a quarantine area um they need to go through a three-week quarantining process so during this time it was simply myself doing all of his husbandry all of his cleaning spending all the time with him um the first few days he was a little bit apprehensive to come up close. Obviously, a new environment, a new home, he was quite scared. Um, but I slowly encouraged him, had his favourite treats, um, showed that I wasn't anything to be scared of. And within the first week, he was taking food out of my hand. So that, that bond has just grown since then. And being that primary trainer, I spend so much time with him. 
Uh, I just learn his behaviours and learn what he's about and just enables me to get up nice, close and personal and get those adorable selfies. <laughs> they really are the best. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious. I don't want to anthropomorphize, you know, that that's a fine line sometimes, but I don't know another way to say it. Kofi just looks really happy all the time. And I do truly believe that keepers get to know their animal personalities. I mean, you know, I know different personalities of different animals. And, and so without turning it into anthropomorphizing, is, is Kofi as happy as he seems? Well, from all the signs that uh, we see in him, we always monitor their welfare um, and just ensure that they have the best care we possibly can. Um, we never see any negative signs that they're not enjoying themselves. Um, if there's something we we see that we could improve on, we we simply do that. We're always giving them um, the best care, their food they need, the water, their shelter, um, and they've always got toys to play with as well. So we do a lot of enrichment with our animals, which just keeps their mind active um, and alert. So they're always going through their natural behaviors as well as enjoying their tasty treats. So from what we can see in the animals, it's it's nothing negative. So I do believe they are happy. And it's just like looking at your your pet dog or something. You know, you know when something's wrong with them. Um, and we're able to read the animals just like that. Absolutely. And and I can read from your Instagram that Kofi is the happiest boy. I can just <laughs> I can I can see it. Um that's just that's so cool. I, I don't even know what it is that I love about him so much. I just do. Like I love tree kangaroos. It's they're one of my favorite animals. But he is just so special. Um, you know, that's just, I don't know. He's special. He absolutely is. And I never really knew too much about tree kangaroos. I'd never worked with them. I'd never been up close. And then as soon as he arrived, there was that immediate love for him. And that's obviously grown over the months that I've been working with him. So I don't think we'll ever go back from that. Uh, I mean, I've had a few favorites in the zoo um, and he crept in there really quite fast got uh, two other individuals tattooed on my body. So he might be next with the tattooing. We'll see about that. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, what, what do you have tattooed other than, than well, other than future Kofi? <laughs> I have a uh, koala on one of my triceps. Um, is This individual was one of the boys that was first here when I started at the zoo. Um, his name was Jarrah. Uh, he's moved on to a different facility now, but he's always permanently on my arm. And then the second animal I have is our wombat, Ringo. So he's still at the zoo. He's still one of my favorites that I get to work with. Um, and hopefully one day I'll have Kofi as part of that as well. That's awesome. I've been considering diving into the world of tattoos. I haven't gotten one yet, but um, I had an artist design a red panda for me, and I kind of wanted to see what I thought it would look like and if I if I should get it or not. So I did one of those like long term, temporary tattoo things, and I've been oh, trying it on right yep. now. I really like it, and I think that if I get it, I will also soon end up getting a tree kangaroo and a sea turtle, and a binturong, because those are my four favorite species. Amazing, yeah. And yeah. as soon as you get one, you'll need to get some more. <laughs> of course, yeah, I've heard that. I've heard they're addictive when you get one, but I only have a temporary one, and I already seem to be addicted, so. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Surprisingly awesome. enough, although people think it's quite painful to get the tattoos, I fell asleep in my second one, um, the tattoo artist. <laughs> was checking to make sure she was doing because the two designs I have are really quite similar 
just checking to make sure the design was the same on the wombat as it was the koala. She's come around to look at the other side and I was sleeping. She's like, you're right. I was just like, oh, yep, I'm fine. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually amazing. Very cool. Um, (laughs) So um, is is Kofi, uh, you know, in in an SSP, is there a plan for him to to breed at some point? I don't know if SSP is the term that you use in Australia. that that's what the AZA has, uh, and I know in America we use for the species survival plan, which is the controlled breeding, you know, program. Yeah, so we have what's called the CPOS, which is es- essentially the same. So it's our collection planning, um, and Kofi is part of that. So we initially got him to start our role as a breeding facility for good feathers, tree kangaroos. Um, so eventually, when a female is suitable to match with Kofi. We'll be able to have her into our zoo and then hopefully have some little Kofis running around as well. <laughs> Baby Kofis. <laughs> I love it. Absolutely um, adorable. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, that, oh, wow, that's so amazing. You had mentioned uh, that you, you can do guest interactions with Kofi. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to just put this out there. If I come to Sydney, can I meet Kofi? Absolutely. All right. Amazing. I'll make it a priority. <laughs> Perfect. That's what I like to hear. I actually just recently got to meet tree kangaroos for the first time. I met two matchies tree kangaroos. And um, I've met a lot of animals, and uh, it, it so lived up to the hype. Um, they have such little yeah. personalities, and they are so endearing, and wow. it was just – it was everything I wanted it to be. And, you know, sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't, but uh, the tree roos were 100% that. Absolutely. And their cute little munching noises when they eat, it's just to die for. Yeah, some of your videos of that are pretty fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) It's time for Interrupting. 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 Interrupting John. Okay, you knew it was coming. Now it is time to hear Kofi get his crunch on, courtesy of Renee's videos on Instagram. And you know, in order to pick the uh, video that would have the best audio for this, I just had to sit here for like 20 minutes flipping through all of Renee's different videos of Kofi eating and um, ah, sometimes making this podcast is a lot of hard work, but sometimes it's also the best thing in the world. And this was one of those times. All right, back to the interview. All right, so um, that's Kofi. And, uh, was there anything else you wanted to say about my, my favorite, my favorite thing in Australia then, uh, before we move on? I guess one of my favorite facts about tree kangaroos, um, unlike your regular macropods, like your kangaroos and wallabies who can only jump with both feet, tree kangaroos can actually move them independently. So they will walk along, um, just like a human, which is, which is pretty cool to see. It's really quite odd seeing a kangaroo like animal, uh, walking along, but probably one of my favorite facts about them i did not know that that's really cool i (laughs) I, i'm gonna have to google and try and find some videos of that because that sounds really weird to see (laughs) 
That's awesome. Um, so let's just let's just keep talking about some of the animals that you you take care of because uh, I have listeners on all six continents that aren't Antarctica, mm-hmm. but um, the vast majority are in the U.S. And so I feel like most people that are going to be listening don't really know much about wombats or quokka or any of that stuff. Um, so let's start off with the wombat that is is tattooed on you. Tell me, tell me more. Yes. So Ringo, he is eight years of age um, and he was unfortunately orphaned on our roads like many of our native wildlife. Um, so his mum was hit by a car. Um, but being a marsupial, he was safe and sound in her pouch. So he was only about four or five months of age, roughly the size of a little hamster, um, very vulnerable, would not have survived. But someone actually stopped checked the pouch of this wombat and they, they found Ringo. So they saved this wombat's life. Um, he came into the care of our keepers at the zoo and was hand-raised. Um, and now, seven and a half years later, he's about 33 kilograms um, and living his ultimate best life. So Ringo is a common wombat or a bare-nosed wombat. Um, so there are three species of wombat. We have two species of hairy-nosed, which are the northern and the southern, which are quite endangered um, in comparison to the common wombat. Uh, but the common wombat in which Ringo is is found throughout New South Wales, Victoria and Tasmania. Uh, and in my non-biased opinion, is definitely the cutest of the three species. <laughs> Yeah, again, I think your your pictures uh, show that to be true. That's for sure. <laughs> we all know that they they poop in cubes, but what else can you tell me about about Ringo in in general? And I, I know from your videos that he likes head scratches. So so tell me more. Oh, he absolutely loves his head scratches. He'll also uh, roll onto his back so we can give him a bit of a belly scratch as well. So he's pretty much just like a puppy dog. Uh, but you mentioned <laughs> their their cube shaped poos. So. That's actually really great evolution uh, in regards to that. So they're able to poo in cubes so that they can stack them on top of each other on rocks or logs or anything like that. And that's how they mark their territory. So cube shapes don't roll off as easily as the rounded uh, feces. So that is why they're cube shaped. Um, But the ultimate protection for our wombats is actually in their butt. So they have a cartilage plate which covers their entire backside, and it's like an inbuilt shield for them. So being a burrowing animal, they'll uh, dig their burrows, and if something's chasing them, a predator's coming along, they're able to block the opening of their burrow with their backside, and it's that tough. Nothing fights through it. Nothing can pull them out. And the next thing they'll do is they they flatten out like a pancake. So you can imagine a pancake fluffy potato-shaped wombat flattening down, And then if something's coming at them, they strike up with their back end um, and they're able to crush the skulls of like dingoes and things between the (laughs) cartilage plate and their burrow. So although they do look like like a little nugget, they're actually incredibly powerful animals. So I wouldn't want to get on on the bad side of a wombat, that's for sure. (laughs) That that is beyond amazing. (laughs) I did not know that I would be so fascinated by wombat butts, but uh, there you go. That's incredible. Very yeah, cool. it's and, really, really cool. And so, so um, tell me about your relationship with uh, with Ringo. Is is he named after Ringo from the Beatles? By the way, yes, because he is a star. <laughs> <laughs> 
I love that so much. The drummer in me just adores that. <laughs> so I don't actually know why we why I love him so much. I don't know if it's a mutual love there, but um, just from day dot, I've always he was the first animal at wildlife that I actually worked with, um, and he's just simply adorable. He's got a personality not like no other. Um, he'll come over for the scratches and his sweet potato and just watching him roll onto his back for scratches and he spends about five minutes after he wakes up just scratching his butt so it's just like just the individual he's he's simply amazing so that's just so cool I just <laughs> uh, I love it you 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 can tell from your your insta that you just have such amazing relationships with these animals and it just it, it does bring me so much joy to see it yeah it's it's incredibly important and by having these relationships with the animals, it means that we're able to uh, pass on our knowledge, our experience. And just anything about the animals as individuals or just the species in particular to any guests or people that come along or if we've got the Instagram following, people just learning on the internet. Um, it's awesome to be able to share that passion with them. Absolutely. Very cool. So um, let's move on to another species that that have taken the internet by storm lately but um, that I don't think many people, including myself, know much about. Uh, you also take care of at least one quokka, right? Yes, we have yes. one quokka. His name is Davey, and he's our little bachelor superstar, um, and he's almost nine years of age. And so tell me about some quokka stuff. <laughs> yeah, so quokkas are native to over in Western Australia, so on the West Coast, um, there is a small population on the mainland, but there is an island uh, called Rotnest Island. So Rotnest Island is home to the quokkas and they have no natural predators, no predators over there. Um, so they're very friendly towards humans. So because they don't have that fear response, um, they then approach people, they'll sit around, they'll sit by you munching away on their lunch and, of course, that's where the quokka selfies come in. So like Kofi, they do always look like they're smiling um, and this has dubbed them the happiest animals in the world because they do have that cute little smile on their face. Uh, but the reason um, this island is called Rotnest Island, it actually translates to Ratnest Island. So when settlers first arrived, uh, they landed on the island and they thought it was infested by these giant rats because quokkas have a furless tail and they look like little rats. Um, those tails definitely look like rat tails. So when settlers came along, quokkas were running around everywhere. Uh, they did not want to inhibit that island. They didn't want to be infested by rats. They dubbed it Ratnest Island, and that is why no one settled on the island. That's why they don't have any predators. Um, there's no one living over there permanently, um, and that's why they are safe on that island. That's actually really cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, I they're adapted to look like rats, basically. <laughs> An adaptation that fools humans. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. And although they do look like rats, they're just pretty much a, a mini wallaby. So macropod, just like your kangaroos, your wallabies, everything like that. They have a pouch, they hop along, um, and their breeding is really quite similar as well. So although they do look like a rat, they're definitely more than just that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And um, 
Yeah, I, th- I feel like a lot of the smaller marsupials and such in Australia get missed. And the internet has, mm-hmm. has helped at least make quokkas popular, but like gliders are out there as well. And I know that they are incredibly cool, weird animals that I think a lot of people just don't know about. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think there are a lot out there that people just aren't aware of. Do you, uh, do you take care of any gliders? I'm trying to remember. I didn't actually memorize your Instagram like I seem. I just, uh, you know, I always go <laughs> looking for Kofi pics. So, but do you have any gliders that you you take care of? Yeah. So we have uh, sugar gliders and yellow belly gliders. So they're two of the um, species that we have native in Australia. Um, and then there are a couple more that that we do have that we don't house at Wildlife. But sugar gliders, um, they're quite small. You've probably seen them as they're often a pet over in America, um, and these these gliders are very cute. They've got grey faces with the black stripe down the middle. Um, they're named the sugar glider because they absolutely love to eat sweet things. So they feed on any nectars, any fruits, anything like that. Uh, we have five females at Wildlife Sydney Zoo, um, and these girls they're really quite fond of humans. So we're able to do a bit of interaction with them. Um, get the name of the sugar glider out and about because not like you mentioned, not many people really know about them. Um, but these gliders, they're quite like a possum, but they have a gliding membrane uh, which attaches from their wrist to their ankles. So when they're jumping from the trees, they'll pretty much put their arms and legs straight out like a star and they're able to glide between the trees. So sugar gliders only being small, they can uh, glide distances across a football field. So Although they're small, they've got quite a gliding distance in them. Um, and then yellow belly gliders, they're absolutely beautiful animals. They're one of the more endangered species and um, we're not very creative with naming our animals. So yellow belly glider, you can probably guess what they look like. <laughs> <laughs> like most of our animals, we're, we're definitely not creative over in Australia. Um, but they are a glider that has a yellow belly. So quite like the sugar glider, they have that membrane between their wrist and their ankle, and they can glide about 100-plus metres um, if they need to. So very, very cute animals. Unfortunately, um, like most of our native marsupials, habitat destruction is a big cause of their numbers declining, uh, but a lot of introduced species such as foxes and cats also cause their numbers to decline. So when we talk about these gliding species, we also like to... Uh, put out the the call about keeping your pets safe as well as keeping the native wildlife safe. So being that responsible pet owner, keeping cats indoors at night specifically. And if you're out in the bush, having your, your dog on a lead just so you're in control um, and that the native wildlife isn't at risk from anything like that. Makes sense. Yeah, I think it's interesting that so much of the native wildlife that you guys have is so famous and cool and weird all around the world but if you live there I guess it's easy to take it for granted yeah absolutely and even Australians living in in this environment aren't aware of these animals that are around um you don't really see them in your backyard a lot of people think that you go outside and there's a koala there's a kangaroo but I personally uh I saw kangaroos a lot growing up but I only saw my first wild koala a couple of years back and that's because I physically went out looking for it. So being in the area that I've grown up, um, it's quite a highly populated area. It's it's more of the cityscape um, and you do need to go a bit further in to, to find these animals. Um, you often see kangaroos jumping across the road and things like that. 
Uh, but the koala populations, the possums and everything, they're a bit more further into the bush. So you do have to be a bit more vigilant, see if you can find them. You actually need to go out spotting um, in this area as opposed to highly populated areas where they might just cross your backyard. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Uh, I guess. So you live pretty close to Sydney, right? Since that's where you're working. Well, I'm about an hour and a half uh, north of Sydney. So it is a bit of a trek for me to get into work every day. Um, but it's still, it's still pretty highly populated in this spot. Okay. That's cool. Uh, so tell me, um, you know, we, we've talked about so many animals and trust me, I'm, I'm coming back for more, but, um, to give my listeners brains a break, um, from that, tell me about Renee a little bit more. What do you do? Who are you? What's your life like in Australia? So I'm 26 years old. I've grown up pretty much in the same area my whole life. Um, which is that, that hour and a half north of Sydney. I went to school all through to year 12. Like I mentioned, I did want to go into forensics. I always had a keen eye, a passion for, for crime and solving things. Um, I am still a true crime nerd. So that's what I do on my off time, always into true crime podcasts, shows, uh, books, anything like that. Um, and then when I'm back at work, it's it's all the animals. So educating the public, conservation, anything like that. Um, on my weekends, on my off time, I also play soccer. So I've been doing that since I was about eight or nine years old. Um, so quite some time with that. So that's pretty much my escape. I go out on the field and nothing else matters. Um, and then I come back home to my partner and my dog. And that's it. That's that's the life of Ren. <laughs> nice. I love it. And that's, uh, that's, that dog is almost as, as popular as, as Kofi and some of your other animals on Instagram. You've got a really cute pup. <laughs> I have to agree with you there. So she, she's a little rescue pup. Um, I got her about just a bit over two years ago now. So she's three years old. Um, she was an incredibly anxious pup. Um, and just like animals at the zoo, I bonded with her from day dot. I literally stayed awake with her for three nights in a row because she couldn't sleep. She was anxious. And from wow. that, 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 that's how we got our relationship. So she's, she's at daycare today. So I've got a day off from the kid, but, <laughs> but yeah, she's very cool. One of a kind. That's for sure. So I have to ask, you said that you play soccer. Mm-hmm. Were you just Americanizing for me or do you guys call it soccer in Australia? Because I know it's football in, in Europe and I have I have been corrected many a times. Uh, it's a bit 50-50 over here. So back when I first started, it was always known as soccer. And then as time's gone on and as we've progressed, it's turned into football. Um, so it is a bit of a back and forth as to what it is actually called. I don't think there's any right or wrong answer over here everyone knows what you're talking about when you say it so soccer football this for that six for one half a dozen for the other <laughs> cool that works it was just it's cool hearing soccer in an accent because i usually <laughs> just tell that when i yeah when that happens um very cool so uh are there any conservation efforts or organizations that are near and dear to your heart yeah so one in particular um, is an organization called rainforest rescue 
So to start with, I will get into why this is so dear to me. Um, at Wildlife Sydney Zoo, we do have one southern cassowary, and his name oh, I is love Princess. <laughs> <laughs> his name is Princess? Yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> so a little bit of a story about Princess. Um, we were initially thought that we were having a female cassowary, so when she arrived, uh, we named Princess because we thought when she grew up, the little cask on top of their head, it looks like a crown. Perfect name for a female cassowary. However, this female cassowary didn't quite grow as large as she should have. You see, female cassowaries, they probably get about 20 kilos heavier than a male cassowary, and they stand quite a bit taller. Um, so when this cassowary didn't really grow to what we thought she would, uh, we started questioning whether we did actually have a female. Um, as time went on, this still didn't change, and we came to the conclusion, based on his behaviour, based on his size, that we do have a male cassowary, but the name Princess has stuck. So it de- he, he definitely lives up to that name. I mean, he does respond to it, which is quite handy, um, but other reasons we did keep his name, cassowaries actually have the ability of swallowing something about the size of an apple completely whole. Uh, but with Princess, we actually need to cut up his diet in about a quarter of an apple. Um, otherwise, he won't go anywhere near it. So <laughs> he definitely is a princess. Um, he also isn't quite a fan of water. So we have a beautiful big pond in his exhibit. Cassowaries love to wade around in water. But there is one part of the pond that he needs to cross, and he hates getting his toes wet. So he'll kind of do a little hop, skip, and jump to get over the water. Um, so he definitely lives up to that name of princess. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. That's awesome. Um, very cool. And then, so going, since we're back in animals now, uh, you did that very well. You were like, okay, enough about me. Let's get back to animals. <laughs> much more comfortable talking about those. Yes. <laughs> you are a conservation educator, I, I can tell. So you started talking about your cassowary, but so tell me more about this organization. Yeah, with princess, um, we actually raise funds for what's called Rainforest Rescue. So they're an organisation based up in Queensland in Daintree Rainforest. Um, So the Daintree Rainforest is one of the most amazing rainforests in the world. So it's over 180 million years old, so very, very old, older than the Amazon rainforest. Wow. It's home to over over 30% of our native frogs, 65% of butterflies and bats, and there's probably over 12,000 different insect species. So not only that, obviously it is home to the cassowary, um, which plays a very vital role in the rainforest. So Rainforest Rescue actually buys back land that has been destroyed or land that could potentially become rainforest and they replant the rainforest. So it encourages more growth, more habitat for these animals and it just spreads that rainforest. Um, And I was actually lucky enough about two years ago to go up and be part of that replanting of the rainforest. So it's absolutely amazing organization. It just bridges the gap between those fragmented lands of rainforest. Yeah, that sounds incredible. I'll definitely have to do some more research into that. Uh, And thank you for taking the time to do that and go and do that. That's amazing. Yeah, it was, it was definitely an amazing opportunity and being up there and planting those little seedlings, you, 
look around and you see the previous land that has been planted and it's just becoming this beautiful rainforest. That must be amazing to see. <laughs> yes, that's for sure. Awesome. Um, oh, so while I'm, because I've literally, my brain has gone back to tree kangaroos like 12 <laughs> times since we've moved on from that. Um, I'm curious. I know that there's a problem with uh, some of the Lumholtz kangaroos right now having some blindness mm -hmm. issues in Australia. And I've heard that some zoos in Australia are planning on starting to actually um, take care of and house Lumholtz tree kangaroos along with Goodfellows, not in the same exhibit, I don't think, but um, just to kind of make sure that there's a, a stronger captive population since there really isn't one right now with the issues going on. Uh, do you know if y'all are planning on doing that? And if so, would you be involved with that? It would be a great opportunity, but uh, at this stage, our facility won't be partaking in that. Um, so we've been put on the list for the breeding of the Goodfellows. Um, we were looking into the Lumholtz, uh, but these specialised facilities are taking them on because they do have those those eye issues and the blindness. Um, so a lot of care and, and things like that is put into that. Um, it is that specialised care that they need. Um, so I guess if there was a time down the track that we could include them in our collection, we definitely would put our hands up for that. Good, because I need some Lumholtz pictures and, and silly selfies with you and Lumholtz. So. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> cool. Um, all right. So there, there, there are two more species that I really want to talk about. And the first one of mm -hmm. those is the echidna. Um, I've had the chance to meet echidnas twice, and they are the weirdest creatures ever. Uh, and I'm guessing that most of my listeners, even most of my zoo people right now are going, what the heck is an echidna? Because they are not very commonly uh, housed over in the States. So talk to me about echidnas. So, yes, echidnas are one of the weirdest and wackiest, uh, along uh, with the platypus. Um, so echidnas, they're basically a spiny anteater um, covered in spikes that are made of keratin. Um but the weirdest thing about them is that they are egg-laying mammals. So most mammals would be placental mammals, but these guys actually lay eggs um, and they have their babies, which are called puggles. So the cutest name for a little baby animal. Um, <laughs> completely naked. They don't have spikes. Um, and unlike your normal marsupial, Echinas don't have a pouch like a kangaroo or a wallaby. Um, they have like a flap of skin that will go over the top of the egg um, as they're incubating it. And they don't have nipples or anything like that, like your, your regular uh, placental mammal. They actually secrete milk from memory glands. So it just comes out of the skin and the puggles will lick up the milk. So the weirdest way in which they breed, um, it's incredible, but these echidnas, they live off ants, termites, any little bugs like that. They have an incredibly long tongue, um, which they're able to stick in termite mounds and things. And they have backwards-facing back legs. So it's, it's really weird, um, but they are burrowing animals. So they burrow down to escape their predators, which only exposes the spikes on the top, but to burrow down as fast as they possibly can and so that they're not burrowing on an angle. They literally just do a shimmy down with their all four feet. So those back feet enable them to just go straight down instead of going on an angle. So it's it's really, really cool. They're 
incredible animals, that's for sure. Unbelievable. And uh, do you work with any uh, echidnas? Yes, I have two currently. Their names are Tonka and Diesel. Nice. Very cool. And then the last species, um, because my my one of my best friends in the whole world, uh, her name is Megan, and she is obsessed with Tasmanian devils. And, uh, you know, having seen a few at zoos and stuff uh, in the States, I can understand why. So tell me about Tazis in general and then the Tazis that you're taking care of. Yeah, so Tasmanian devils, like the name suggests, they are solely found on Tasmania. Um, however, it is believed that they were once across all of mainland Australia. Um, but the introduction of dingoes and just people settling across mainland Australia caused their numbers to become extinct. Um, so they are now solely in Tasmania. Uh, but although they are now a protected species, they're still facing one of their toughest battles, which is a contagious cancer. So this is called devil facial tumour disease. Um, and it is passed on through contact. So these tumours take over the entire face of a Tasmanian devil, which causes them not to be able to eat, drink. They're not able to see because of these tumours. And it has caused uh, a lot of our wild devils uh, succumbing to this disease and passing away. So they are endangered species because of this. Um, and that is passed on when animals are congregating around to eat. Just once they have a little tap with, an infected devil, this tumour will then pass on. So it's a very detrimental disease to the, the population, um, but there have been facilities that have uh, solely been breeding Tasmanian devils. And since these sole breeding facilities have been introduced, uh, devils have actually been re-released back into Tasmania, into safe areas where they're not in contact with these infected devils. So these breeding facilities have done absolutely amazing things for the Tasmanian devil species, and it ensures that we do have that insurance population and that they they don't uh, die out just like their cousins, the Tasmanian tiger. Yes. Oh, thylacines. I, what an amazing species. Um, so tell me about your devils. And, and do you guys work free or protected contact with them? Yeah, so we have two female devils. Um, they are about three years of age. Um, they've only just recently been introduced to each other. We did just receive a new devil about three weeks ago. So they've just been introduced together. Uh, and when we are working with them, we do have protective contact. So we have either a safe zone that we'll go into so we don't have any contact with them. Or if we're cleaning the exhibit or doing any work in the exhibit, um, we'll always have a trusty shovel between us and the devil. So it's just that little barrier just in case they were to try anything. Typically, devils steer clear of people. They don't really want a bar of you. Um, but they also have the strongest jaw pressure of any animal in comparison to their size. So they can literally bite through anything, and I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of one of their bites. So it's just that little extra precaution um, just in case. So always that protective contact. Uh, but our two females, their names are Dara and Mirren. Um, they've both had a litter of joeys each and now they've come to our facility to, to live out their days. So they're great ambassador animals. We're able to educate everyone and show what devils are like. So unlike the Taz Devil cartoon, they're absolutely nothing like that, that's for sure. 
No, I my other um, interview with Chad Criddle uh, from Australia, uh, I actually called it No Poop Tornadoes Here because that's what the Tasmanian <laughs> devil looks like to me. It's just a poop tornado. So that is not what really Literally, I've look never like. thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's my great contribution to the world is the phrase poop tornado. So <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Very cool. Um, are there any other animals that you wanted to talk about before we, we move on? Yeah, well, just before we move on from Tally Devils, I will mention my favorite fact about the devils besides their jaw pressure. Um, the females actually give birth to up to about 30 plus joeys at any one time. So not many people know that. Um, and it's a pretty awesome fact. Um, so their pregnancy is only about 18 days. So very, very short. And uh, they give birth to babies that are about the size of a grain of rice. So um, although they give birth to 30, only the four fastest and fittest will survive. So they're actually fighting for their life from day one. Um, and that just shows how resilient, how tough these animals are. Um, and that's why we need to do everything we can to save this species. Yeah. Wow. I, I had no clue. That's, that's crazy. Wow. I guess, I guess at that point it wouldn't be, they'd be such small little things that you couldn't, you couldn't like save the other ones. Like even if they were bred in captivity, the other ones, there'd be no way to save them and raise them as, as part of an insurance population or a re-entry, reintroduction population. But they're too small at that point. That's kind of the whole marsupial thing, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, being that size of a grain of rice, it would be very, very difficult to push them through to, to adulthood. Yeah, that's too bad. That would be really cool. So, oh, well. And then, so uh, are there any, I mean, you already talked about that, the amazing uh, rainforest conservation work, but are there any other conservation organizations that you wanted to give a shout out to? Um, so we work alongside an organization called Science for Wildlife. So I would like to give a shout out to them. Um, they did absolutely amazing things for the koala populations and just native wildlife during the 2019-2020 bushfires. Um, so they went out surveying the areas, uh, taking in injured wildlife um, and just uh, surveying the areas once the fires had died down as well, just seeing what the numbers were like um, after those devastating bushfires. So definitely a shout out to the Science for Wildlife as well. Um, as well as an organisation called Sleepy Burrows Wombat Rescue. So uh, that's another organisation we support. Um, it's cute name for a cute animal. Um, they take in orphaned or injured wombats, rehabilitate, and then release them back into the wild too. So they are the three organisations that we support at Wildlife, and um, they do amazing things for our native animals. Very cool. And now it is time. It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show, but there's one tale left to go. You're gonna laugh and say, oh no, it's time for the Rossifari poop story. Hit me. <laughs> so my poop story is not actually poop, but one of my favorite animals to work with are the koalas. Um, and I've always had a passion for koalas. And one of the main things we focus on is, of course, breeding this species. So koalas, uh, the females will happily be housed together. However, males, they do become quite territorial. So we house the males on their own. So when it comes to breeding, we need to take the female to the male. So when we do this, we'll find a suitable time, make sure the female is ready, uh, make sure it's a suitable mate. We'll take the female in, let them do their deed. Once they have separated, 
we're then in what we like to call the splash zone. So not only is it um, the the mating juices, but also they love to urinate after doing this. So you are literally in the splash zone when these koalas have separated. So there have been times where you're trying to ensure that they're being successful in these meetings um, and you're literally under the koalas to make sure it's all going to plan and then you're literally just hit with these juices. So there's been numerous occasions where this has happened to me. Um, we then need to take the female back to her home um, and not only do we get covered in the juices, so does she. So we're carrying this koala back to her home while she's covered in everything. Uh, one particular time I remember it was actually on International Zookeeper Day and I came out after holding this koala and I was just drenched and I was like, okay. This shows a zookeeper. I'm happy with that. But that is my story. <laughs> it's quite entertaining, but um, it's part of the job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is amazing. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, that's incredible. Uh, well, thank, thank you so much for doing this. I'm so glad we could finally connect. It was a long time coming, but thank you for asking me and having me on your podcast. Of course. Okay, so I'm just spitballing here, but Renee said that she is a big fan of forensics has an adorable companion tree kangaroo named Kofi and an amazing dog. If that isn't the recipe for an incredible television show, I don't know what is. She's a zookeeper by day, but a crime fighter at night. He's an adorable tree kangaroo with the taste for sweet potatoes and justice. Along with their trusty sidekick, Jindy the dog, they are here to keep crime out of the outback. Just a zookeeper? No. She's the zoo copper. Today's episode, to quell a quokka. I mean, come on, who wouldn't watch that show? You could have cool lines such as, Hey mate, the evidence is piling up thicker than a wombat's butt. I know, I know, I'm not allowed to do Australian accents on here, or whatever the heck that was supposed to be. I know, it's a rule, I'm sorry, I just, I like that line. Anyway, you can, need to, and should go check out Renee on Instagram, at ReneeHowell18, and of course you can check out the zoo, Wildlife Sydney Zoo, at Wildlife Sydney Zoo, or wildlifesydney.com.au. Don't forget the double dot there because it's Australia. Sadly, as this episode is coming out, the zoo is closed again because Sydney is dealing with another outbreak of COVID. So, uh, hey, just another friendly reminder to go get your vaccines. You know, it helps. Oh, and uh, actually, I just remembered one additional question that I meant to ask Renee. Um, so let me just reach out to her quick. Hey, Ren, I know that Foster's is Australian for beer. So what is Australian for the word credits? Always with the Foster's. As for our Australian word for credits, it's, well, um, credits. Because a uh, fun fact of the day is we Aussies actually speak English. You bloody galah. 
The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.